What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a great weekend. Uh, enjoyed your time uh, over uh, over Easter Sunday. Spent some time maybe uh, at church with your family, eating some food. I know that uh, here soon, uh, or I guess later on this evening, uh, I'll be eating with my family, uh, recording, uh, or I guess editing up on uh, on Easter. So uh, getting some things uh, taken care of, maybe a little bit last minute for, uh, for an episode drop this weekend, but here we are. And I am excited because today's episode with Drew is, uh, is a lot of fun. I've been wanting to reach out to him for quite some time and finally uh, shot him a note on the Instagrams. We got connected and, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his story is a lot of fun. The cowboy action uh, mounted shooting, which is, which is super cool. Uh, but before we get into it, for those of you maybe, uh, maybe new to the show, uh, getting after it for the first time uh, or just uh, need a refresher, uh, you know, my goal with this podcast really is a growth through story, strength through community. And uh, what I do uh, to embody that, or at least I do my best to embody that by uh, having folks share their stories. Uh, I sit down with them, have them uh, really kind of spend time sharing how they got to where they're at, some of the life lessons that they've learned, why they chose a particular path, and some of the things that they've learned along the way, hopefully to give you some tools, tips, tricks, things, kind of different ways of thinking in order to either pursue your own passion, find a community to join in on, some motivation if you're losing it, whatever the case may be. And so uh, kind of throughout that, that conversation, I do my best to keep it more of a an 80-20, right? I, I'm not really interested in talking about myself. Uh, so I do my best to do um, kind of the active listening and uh, really asking as best as I can uh, deeper than skin surface uh, or skin deep questions to really, you know, get you thinking and answer some questions. So that's that's kind of my goal and style. And uh, like I said, growth through story and strength through community. So um, at the end of it, you know, feel free to reach out to the guys that I'm interviewing, guys and gals that I'm interviewing, um, you know, find them on social media, go get plugged in, check out practice score. Or, you know, or whatever website it is that we're talking about to go get you plugged into competitions, photography, hunting, whatever the case may be, depending on who I'm talking to. So uh, today's episode, like I said, is with Mr. Drew Wallace, who does the uh, cowboy action mounted shooting, which is super freaking cool. But before we jump into it, um, if you don't mind taking a quick second to leave a rating and review, follow the show, follow me on Instagram, just the Vanguard Project with uh, periods in between excuse me, uh, periods in between, it will mean the world to me, right? I love to see and get involved with everybody. Like I said, because, you know, the podcast itself focuses on others, but you know, social media is where, you know, you get to see what life looks like, uh, beyond the mic for me, you know? Um, but otherwise, uh, I've been extremely fortunate, uh, to have partnered with several companies kind of in this venture with the podcast. And one of them is black rifle coffee. And I am super excited. I love black rifle coffee. You know, I've met a lot of folks there. They are amazing people. Um, I've drank just, a ton of coffee and you know it is it is about summertime you know like spring starting it's starting to warm up a little bit and it's about time to go get some fresh some fresh gear and uh, i've actually got a code it's a it's just vanguard for 20 percent off and it covers uh, quite a bit of stuff including some gear in the shop so if you need some fresh tees tank tops whatever maybe some new mugs or uh, if you need uh, to re-up your uh, your coffee supply use just code vanguard 20 percent off black rifles website and and uh, you'd be good to go for the summer. One fell swoop. Even if you needed a subscription, uh, 20% off. Use code Vanguard on Black Rifle's website. Otherwise, I'm going to stop rambling. Be sure to use that code Vanguard for 20% off. Follow me on the Instagrams. And we're going to roll a wicked awesome episode with Mr. Drew Wallace. So let's hit it. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and I'm excited because uh, I finally reached out to somebody that uh, I've wanted to get a hold of for a little while now, and that'd be uh, Mr. Drew Wallace. He, uh, you do some pretty fancy stuff. You're, uh, you're kind of a, uh, I don't know the right word wordage for it, but you're like a mounted cowboy action shooter guy, right? I don't know. I don't know how. How would you? How would you describe what it is that you do? Yeah. The um, well, thanks. Thanks for having me on, and. Um... Yeah, the I guess the the appropriate title is a, a professional cowboy mounted shooter. So that's the uh, the name of the sport is cowboy mounted shooting, and uh, I've been doing this now for 
the better part of the last, you know, probably five years, you know, full on uh, traveling and competing. That's awesome. So maybe before we get into it, you know, maybe, and not to steal your intro, do you mind kind of just introducing yourself? And clearly I'm excited about the mounted because that's the mounted horse stuff. Cause that's kind of what I see. Cause we connected through Instagram, but I don't really know your whole story. Yeah. So do you mind maybe introducing yeah. yourself? Yeah. So, you know, my, my name is Drew Wallace and, uh, yeah, I live here on the East Coast in Massachusetts. Uh, not not by by choice. That's where I was born and raised. But um, my background is is you know really you know started you know not just growing up around you know sports and, and horses, but then and, you know joined the army. Uh, I was a GWAT baby. You know right right after college, joined uh, right after 9/11 and served in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, and essentially was deployed. You know from Basically, you know, 2003, you know, up to 2009, um, you know, did an enlistment with the Ranger Regiment and then worked for Blackwater Worldwide uh, and did that through basically my whole 20s, you know, um, was dedicated to, to, you know, being overseas and, and serving a higher cause. And then uh, and that's that's the meat of my 20s. And then after that, it was all about, you know, figuring things out you know, finding uh, the right path for me, finding a job, finding a passion, you know, building a family, you know, and that's brought me to where I am today. And uh, I'm probably as happy as I've ever been today, you know, but really it's been through kind of a lot of different trials and tribulations and, and, and figuring out that, that what makes me, you know, passionate about life, yeah. um, you know. That's awesome, man. I think you're the first ranger that I've sat down and spoke with. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. <laughs> I, I've talked to quite a few, you know, folks from different branches and specialty units, but I don't think I've sat down with a ranger yet. So I'm pretty excited. Um, you know, maybe starting from the be the beginning, right? Cause I, I, my, I guess my process or goal is kind of to tell the story, right? What, uh, what led you kind of down the army path? Was it, was it really, 9-11 were you in college and were like dude this is not for me how did how did army come about yeah i mean the kind of origin story you know when i was a little kid i i knew i always i had a uh an interest in the military you know certainly you know you know playing like you know full camo you know fatigues you know face paint playing the most dangerous game in my neighborhood or playing manhunt with friends i was always drawn to the sort of fantasy of being a soldier, you know, and I think that happened at a very young age, you know, like I'm talking, you know, seven, eight, nine. Um, and when you have those sort of childlike sort of fantasies, they definitely stick with you, you know, um, you know, you hear a lot of kid guys who, you know, they're fire military, whatever it all, or, you know, the origin for it began when they were really young. Um, and so that was, was me as a kid, just, you know, super interested in the military. I used to go to army Navy stores, buy like <laughs> old jackets, <and> like <laughs> Vietnam era, like, you know, fatigues and medals and boxes and all sorts of stuff. And people, my parents thought I was, you know, just wacko, but I loved it. And I would wear, you know, all sorts of different stuff to school. Um, and any, you know, anyhow, that kind of carried on for a while. And, um, you know, was always athletic, uh, played sports, you know, every sport, hockey, lacrosse, soccer, wrestled, uh, you know, did everything. Um, and really, you know, you have that kind of childlike dream. And then, it, you know, and then when you get older, there's a moment where, you know, you can kind of make a decision for it to become a reality. Um, and that really happened when, you know, I was 21. Uh, I was in about my last year of college, you know, and then that's when 9-11 happened. Um, I was out in California at a place called Pepperdine University uh, studying out there and just living the good life. You know, I was like, I had long hair, long blonde hair, surfing a lot, you know, really went to class, like played sports, just like, you know, just like living this like privileged youth. And, um, when 9-11 happened, I had this sort of, you know, like many guys had this visceral reaction, yeah. just kind of 
was was just like angry. Um, and it it was really at that point, you know, it was a call to arms more or less. Um, and I knew at that moment that I needed to, you know, do something about it. And they needed able-bodied young men who could fight. You know, why should I stay here at home, you know, living this kind of good life while, you know, other people go off to, to fight this war. Um, and that was it, you know, it was really 9-11. And there were a lot of other folks like that, like me, you know, and there were, you know, who, you know, answered the call. Um, and that was it, you know, I finished college and then soon after college, you know, I enlisted. You know, I had, uh, I had the option to be an officer or, or be enlisted. And uh, I chose to go the enlisted route, you know, the old, sort of adage, you know, officers uh, make policy, the enlisted enforce it, you know, <laughs> and I wanted to like, I wanted to kick down doors and do the fun stuff. Uh, and so that's, that was kind of the, the path and, you know, and 9-11 was it. Yeah. So I'm taking notes. So it's a, it's interesting because, you know, the 9-11, it seems to be a pretty big or a pretty common thing as far as the origin story. Right. But something that you mentioned that I think is, is interesting, right. Is you had like kind of a conscious decision decision to make it a reality, right. Where you kind of could have easily have said, yeah, I'm too old for this. I don't want to do it. Somebody else will, you know, go take care of it. Right. What led you to, I guess, making the decision, you know, the conscious decision to go enlist. I think, you know, my, my family had already always sort of, uh, you know, preached the idea of, you know, selfless service, uh, giving back to others. Um, and then I had gone to some different, I guess, say institutions that had uh, pushed that, that kind of philosophy as well. You know, I'd gone to a camp once, a place called Camp Dudley. And their motto was the other fellow first, you know, putting other people's needs ahead of yours or the high school that I went to, you know, this place called Holderness, you know, they, they had a big service program where there was just, you did tons of community service, giving back to others. And so I, you know, kind of through my formative teenage years, I developed a lot of this sort of sense of like, you know, giving back, you know, giving them to yourself, like, you know, that your life isn't really more or less fulfilled until you've, you know, given up all of yourself to something else. Um, and I think that's what kind of helped, you know, make, you know, push me over the edge to make it a reality, not just the, the visceral sort of anger that someone would do this. Um, but it was a combination of those things, you know, my childlike sort of mentality of just, you know, it was a dream to this, these formative years of, you know, being involved in service and then just having that opportunity. It was like someone knocking on your door, like, you know, boom, boom, boom. Like, Hey, we need you. Like, this is your chance. Like you want to serve? Yeah. Like if you're not going to do it now, like don't, don't do it ever, you know? And that, that's not the case. I mean, they'll always take you and, and guys have, you know, since I've left the military, you know, my younger brother joined, I guess probably in you know, late 2008 or nine, you know what I mean? But it was just such an opportunity. It was such a moment that, you know, um, it all made sense and, and many years led up to it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, man, so this might be kind of another interesting question thinking about it, but when you did decide to go enlist, right. Um, knowing that you were kind of living the life, it's a big risk, right? It's a big change of pace, change of culture. What did it take for you to feel comfortable and willing to make that change other than, you know, the visceral sense of anger and kind of sense of duty, I suppose. Oh, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it, yeah. Um, well, I guess I'll say, you know, I'll say this. So like when I, I finished college and then that kind of like late summer and fall, I had the opportunity to work like actually on a boat, on a sailboat. Cause I was, I, I finished college and I drove back East and I was like, you know, I was like, I need to enlist. And, but I, 
but there are some other people too who were telling me, well, like, listen, you enlist, like you're going to go over, you're going to get killed. You're going to die. or whatever." Mm-hmm. So there were some other people who were, you know, uh, in a sphere of influence who were also like questioning what I was doing. Um, and so what I did is actually, I got a job on a boat for basically like a couple of months. I helped sail a boat back from the Mediterranean back to the Caribbean um, to kind of mold, mold over. It was basically it took 30 days to sail across the Atlantic. Um, and I used that 30 days to just like, like, you know, I'd already met with a recruiter. I knew I wanted to do it, but I used those 30 days to, to really like think hard because it's a life-changing decision, you know, joining the military and, you know, and whatnot. Um, and when I got back, I was in St. Martin's, you know, you know, finishing working on the boat. And I remember like going out to like some bar in St. Martin. And again, thinking to myself, like, 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 kind of like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, <laughs> like, I mean, like, like, and it, I kind of hit a breaking point where it was so easy to give up everything that I had had or like experiences that I was having that I was just like, like, I don't need this. Like this is, this, this isn't giving me any fulfillment or meaning. Um, and that was it. So it like, can't, I got, I guess I, to answer your question, <clears throat> I basically hit just kind of a breaking point where I was like, you know, what do I have to lose? You know, um, yeah. I've had a great life already. Um, let's do this. Um, you know, my country needs me. And that was it. Yeah. And that, that breaking point came from, I guess it wasn't necessarily like alone time, but alone time ish on, on the boat to say, okay, great. I'm willing. I'm, I'm already able to give up my experiences so far and what I have built already yeah. to go. Okay. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think some self-reflection, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a profound believer in self-reflection, you know, being alone, uh, you know, away from other people's influence, you know, because we're so easily swayed by what other people say, you know, or do. Um, and if you remove yourself from that, oftentimes you're able to really think clearly about, you know, what path you want to take. Um, and that was it, you know, Um and again, I say that too, like, for example, like my grandmother, I remember who I love, when I told her I was joining, I wanted to join the military, she thought I was crazy. She's like, oh, it's a terrible idea. You know, you're going to get killed. I think you should go to, you know, uh, business school and this and that. And like, I was like, well, I don't want to do that. I was like, you know, like, um, you know, so yeah, again, I mean, self-reflection, time alone in any chapter of your life, I think can be really profound. Um, just allows you to really think clearly, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you go, you come back, um, you go back to the recruiter, you enlist and, uh, <laughs> you wanted to be the enforcer rather than the, uh, I guess yeah. the, uh, <laughs> the maker <laughs> yeah. of policy. Did you, uh, did you go exactly. in going like, Hey, I do want to join the army and I want to go like, the uh, the ranger route and like kick ass or was that i did okay yeah i had a close friend who had been in uh the ranger regiment so i knew that that was the route that i wanted to go mm-hmm. so when i enlisted i asked for uh, a ranger contract which was you know basically it gives you it lays out your path i mean you still got to pass everything but you go through you know basic training uh, advanced individual training ait then you go to, you know, airborne school, and then you go to the ranger indoctrination program or RIP as it was called. And now it's called uh, RASP, um, the arrangement, ranger assessment and selection program. Okay. Um, so I knew out of the gate, I was like, this is what I want to do. I was like, I don't want to go in to be like a gas pumper. I was like, I want to go in to like kick ass and like do some high speed shit. Right. Uh, He's like, why not? I was like, you know, like, if you're gonna do it, test my ability. Yeah, I mean, let's fucking go. Let's, you know, let's let's do something fun, um, and, and you know, reach, you know, try to really, you know, push the envelope and push the threshold. Uh, and that was it. You know, I knew right out of the gate that's what I wanted to do. 
Yeah. So I'm not super familiar. Like I was telling you, I think you're the first Ranger that I've spoken to. I'm not super familiar with what Rangers are charged with. Do you mind kind of telling me yeah. maybe what, it, what, what you guys do in whatever way you can? Yeah. I mean, um, so in short, you know, the, the Ranger Regiment, um, it's, a, it's a small unit and there's multiple battalions um, that are spread throughout the country. Um, but there's only probably now they might be a little bit bigger, but a few, few thousand guys in the Ranger Regiment. And it's a small light infantry unit. Um, and the primary responsibility today is really uh, direct action raids. So basically any sort of like killer capture, um, going after a target, you know, you know, mostly during nighttime. Um, and that's, you know, really what they're tasked with doing. Um, you know, explosive dynamic entries into buildings, finding who's ever there. <clears throat> Again, you know, killer capture and then, you know, go home. Uh, we're not, you know, Rangers aren't there to, you know, train foreign militaries. That's, you know, the Green Berets job. You know, we're not necessarily there to interrogate folks. You know, that's someone else's job. We're there to like blow down the door and get who needs, you know, get who we need. need. Yeah, get the job done. Um, get the job done, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, historically, like in the past, the Rangers were really known for like, uh, seizing airfields. So, mm. you, know, you know, things like the invasion of, you know, Grenada or Panama, you know, they would, you know, the Rangers would go in and basically, you know, seize the airfield, secure it so that then, you know, larger aircraft would come in and land um, and bring in more troops and, and vehicles and stuff. Um, yeah, that's, and, and so, you know, Rangers have been around for, you know, you know, years, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you know so did you had like have a done research prior to, to say, Hey, the Ranger routes where I want to go, or, or did you learn about that through your buddy plus a recruiter? Uh, yeah. I mean, a little bit, I mean, like I say a little bit, like I had like a book, like this old, this like, you know, like big hardcover, like, you know, eight by 10, even bigger than that book where it's like, you know, it's more of like a recruiting book, you know, that, kids look through and it's like, you know, Navy, Air Force, Marine, you know, it's like, and then the army section is like, Oh, army Rangers. Like, you know, this sounds really cool. I mean, I didn't have a whole lot to go off. Of. All I knew was like, I knew I wanted to join the army. I knew that these were my options. I could be a green beret and do this or a ranger and do that. But I had, you know, talked with a good friend who said, you know, you're, he's like, you're athletic, you're aggressive you'd fit in really well in, in the Ranger Regiment, you know, and that's really was my main sort of influence of going that direction. Okay. Okay. So then as far as the pipeline goes, you know, for guys maybe that are, you know, interested in joining, interested in maybe uh, putting together a contract or a, or a packet for it, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, what did your, I guess, mentality, what was your mentality like going through that that helped you, I guess, get selected and ultimately join the regiment. Yeah. Um, I mean, for anybody who's interested in at least, you know, joining the Ranger Regiment uh, or any like special operation branch, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you know, really the, in order to prepare for it, I mean, you gotta, you, you have to really want it. I mean, my, my fear of, you know, failure, I think was greater than my will to succeed. You know, for me, it was like failure was just not an option because it was like uh, not to say the humiliation of it or the disappointment. It was just for me, you know, I just wanted, you know, to, to do really well and, and, and make it all the way there. Um, because also, like, if, you know, you if you wash out, you get sent to, you know, just the regular conventional army or you know, say you're trying to be a SEAL. You know, if you wash out, you just go to the fleet. You know, it's, and that's not a great, that's not why I joined the military. You know, I joined to, you know, do high speed stuff and, and, you know, try to be part of the best. Um, so you're, you're, the mental aspect is the most critical. Um, you know, physically, I mean, you got to be in good shape. Um, a lot, I think a lot of guys put too much emphasis on the physicality of it. I mean, it's brutal, but, um, you know, I've seen guys who, you know, are 
you know, 150 pounds soaking wet, you know, just to, you know, destroy any sort of, you know, D1, you know, athlete because they're more mentally strong, you know? Um, so yeah. And sure. Like if you're focusing on, if you're, you're looking to get into that, uh, into the military and any sort of special operations, you know, you've got to work, you got to really want it. I think, um, you got to have the mental prowess to, to succeed and to not fail, uh, not focus too much on the physicality. Yeah. Okay. So I don't have, you know, kind of like we were saying, I don't have any firsthand experience with, you know, military life or anything like that, but having, you know, you having gone through it for six years or so and kind of lived the life, you know, what, what are the things that maybe you wish you'd have known going into it? Maybe wish, you know, maybe your buddies might've known or could benefit from guys that might be in it now that you're like, dude, this would help me if I was you would have helped me if I was you. Yeah. I think some having a sense of some sort of like career path. Uh, I mean, when I joined, it was like, you know, I was felt like the whim of, and I was the whim of whoever was in charge of me. Um, yeah. I don't really think I, I thought I had much control over where I go or what I do. Um, so I think having some sense of like better options, like again, like even when I joined, uh, I had kind of joined the, the Ranger Regiment based off of one guy who I knew kind of well, but not like super well. Um, so I didn't really know every, all the different options and things that I could do. And I think that's, that goes for a lot of guys who join like, and you see a lot of young kids get taken advantage of by recruiters and stuff too. I mean, you know, so having a better sense of like what my career path could be or should be um, might've been helpful. So um, otherwise I felt like super prepared for everything, you know um, you know, I felt mentally prepared for most stuff physically, definitely. Cause I was always athletic. Um, but yeah. Probably having a sense of some sort of, you know, career path or where you're going to go, you know. Yeah. When you say career path, is that just like your military tenure or is that throughout military and then? Yeah. Military tenure. Because like when I I joined and then, uh, you know, you kind of go through, you know, you go through basic AIT, airborne, uh, RIP. Then you went to your unit. Then you would go through ranger school. Then you can't come back. And then you're just like. You're deploying. We were deploying all the time, you know, basically every more or less like five months. Um, and you just kind of kind of enter into this sort of, you know, not a meat grinder, but a little bit. You're just sort of like, you know, just constantly going through this. Yeah. And you're like, like, when does this Ferris wheel end? You know, like, <laughs> and it doesn't like, you know, and that's, I think, probably why one, one reason I, I left is I was like, like, I was like, is this it? You know, I was like, is this the only, is this the only path for me is just keep doing this, you know? And, you know, you, you know, you move up in rank and you get more responsibility. I mean, you're still at the same unit and you could go to some other units, but uh, and those opportunities were sometimes encouraged, but not, not often. Um, and so I think that was, you know, that was ultimately when, you know, why I ended up getting out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not a lot of like career development yeah. know, I, I found in the military. Okay. So then when you retired, it was, it was genuinely based off of then just, was it, was it really just tired of the meat grinder or were you like, Hey, I need, I need something different or more. Uh, yeah, I was like, you know, so I'd done, I'd done like four deployments. Um, rotations and i think i was just sort of like you know i was kind of burning the candle at both ends like mm-hmm. definitely drinking a lot uh you know i was it wasn't like a sustainable lifestyle and i recognized that i was like i can't keep doing this just like you know not not even necessarily the train up and the deployments but it was just like i could tell you know me as a person i was like this you know, I, I had no family or anything, uh, you know, immediate, I mean, I had my, my parents and my brothers and that, but I wasn't married or had any kids or nothing like that. Uh, plenty of like dysfunctional 
uh, you know, relationships, you know, with uh, girlfriends or whatnot. I mean, not, but nothing stuck because, you know, you're just like, I don't want to say I was a train wreck, but I was just you know, drinking a ton and just not really a fun, you know, a functioning human outside of my military. You know, when I was working in the military, I was great. You know, deployed is great, great at my job. Uh, you know, I think in everyone I worked with would, would say that. But outside of that, um, it just wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Um, so I found that the best call for me was, I was like, hey, I was like, you know what? I was like, this can't be it. I was like, I- I'm capable of doing other stuff. Uh, I'm going to go do it, you know? Yeah. So, so that was kind of it. Yeah. But, yeah. Sorry, go for it. No, but I mean, the time in ser- service was great. I mean, um I went to Iraq twice, Afghanistan twice. Um, yeah, I got, went through EMTI school. Uh, I did the best ranger competition twice. Um, you know, had a great, really good, good experience. Have made awesome friends, some guys I'm still like super close with. Um, you know, the time overseas was, was meaningful, um, ch- challenging. Um, you know, I'm just a better human for having gone through that and just so much more appreciative of, of really everything I've got now. Um, you know, and people ask, you know, I always say, you know, I thought, I think the grass is going to be greener, you know, it eventually is. I mean, now it is, I mean, this is you know, 10 years plus, you know, um, it took a while, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so in order for it to get greener, Right. I know that when we first started talking, you said right about now is the happiest you've probably ever been. What what did it take for you to get to this point? I mean, what did that look like post retirement? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the you know, million dollar question, too, for for a lot of guys. And I was thinking about that today, too, before we were going to talk, because I, I thought that that was something that uh, probably the most profound item, you know, because. When I look at guys who, you know, were in the military or even like played like D1 sports, like guys who like, whose identity was, you know, built by, you know, what they did, you know, you know, playing a a sport at a super high elite level or, you know, serving in the military at a high elite level or even not just, you know, being involved in something that was meaningful and that helped create an identity for themselves. You know, people who have done that, particularly guys, when you leave that, it's really challenging to find something again, that makes you feel that same way. I think a lot of guys struggle with that, uh, you know, because listen, I mean, when you come down from that hilltop, you know, a lot of, you know, you know, people get, they get married, they have kids, they get a job that they may, may not like, <laughs> um, you know, like, and, and then, then they're like here sitting there and they're like, they're like, fuck, they're like, is, is this it? Like, is this like, man, like I missed doing all the things and like, you know, you want to, you want to relive it, but like, you know, you don't want to live your life kind of looking in the review mirror like just constantly thinking about hey this is what i i was you know Mm -hmm. and i certainly went through that a bit um you know when i left the military you know i got you know i was searching to you know identify myself who you know who you know who 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 was i you know what defined me you know and you know it's not just your past it's what you're doing currently and a lot of times, if you don't enjoy what you're currently doing, it's it's really you know it can it can really decrease your motivation and make you pretty unhappy. So, um, you know that's what you you work at. You work at you know you find finding new things that you like to do that you identify with, and then they make you happy and give you passion. And um, and for me, that took you know. Uh, several years to find out find but i i found it and again it reconnected back to 
my childhood. There are things in my childhood that I loved, which was the horses. And I, I rode horses when I was a young, young kid. And that's a whole separate you know, story. But then I, as again, once I left the military, I went through, you know, a, a bad marriage, got divorced, you know, had some kids who were wonderful, but, um, and then found horses again, like rediscovered my love for like these animals and then found this sport, which is the fucking best thing I've ever, <laughs> I've ever discovered, uh, short of my, my wife. Now I, I got remarried and I have a nine month old, but you know, it's, that's been awesome. And that's been, I've been able to identify with that. And, and for me, now the grass is finally greener because, you know, you know, so I'm kind of going on a tangent there, but (laughs) no, it was good. Ultimately. Yeah. These, when you're, when you're a guy, you really, you know, guys want to identify, they identify with what they they do. Right. If you were functioning at an elite level, military, or even in business or, you know, sports, and then you come down from that hill, like, you know, it's, it can get fucking low. And so guys need to find things that they love again, Um, or or, things that they loved when they were younger or new things, whether it be motocross, uh, rally racing, jujitsu, uh, I don't fucking care what it is. I mean, just you find something that gives you passion and makes you feel like a man and you fucking do it. Yeah. You know? So to it. put it in like perspective and how, how, so you said it took a couple years for you to find, you know, the horses and the shooting, how many different activities did it take before you found that? I mean, was it like yeah. you tried 15 uh, different things and you're like, this all fucking sucks. I know. Yeah. It's a good question. I mean, uh, when I got out of the service, you know, I did the private contracting thing for a while just to make some money for Blackwater. And then I came back and I was really involved in like fitness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to school for it. I loved it. And that was kind of where I was identifying with like doing like I did a lot of personal training, CrossFit, all that stuff. And listen, like I know a lot of dudes who get out of the military and like fitness is their fucking jam. Like yeah. they they just fucking work out and they just like, like, ah, like, you know, it's like, it's what they live for. And I get it. Cause listen, like what doesn't make you feel like a fucking stud than deadlifting, you know, 400 pounds or whatever, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's cool. Uh, so I definitely got involved in that. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I was skydiving a bit. Uh, uh, what else? I mean, I didn't have a ton of time. I was doing some motocross stuff, nothing crazy. Um, yeah, that was about it, you know. And then, but then it was like horses had always been like when I was a kid, I'd always been in like in love with horses and stuff. And I can tell how I got into that. I mean, yeah, it's it, so I was, and also too, so firearms. So guys get out and they're still using firearms, okay. Um, you know, and I was, I was doing that. I was basically at the range, uh, in California, just shooting my AR, shooting pistols and stuff, you know, just having a good time. I was kind of like, you know, kind of over it at that point, you know, cause it's like plinking targets after a while, you know, get boring. And behind me, I, there was like this, this place, I was at Mike Rahagi's, there was a huge like horse arena. And I look back, I see these guys fucking riding around on horses and they're fucking shooting. And I was like, what the, f-? I was like, what the fuck is this? I was like, whoa. And so like, I put down my AR, my pistol in, in the bay and I walked over and I was like, yo, I was like, what is this? I was like, this looks fucking awesome. I was like, I didn't even know this sport existed. Um, and they're like, oh, this is cowboy mounted shooting. And I was like, I was like, ah. I was like, I was like, how can this even exist? And I didn't know about it. Um, and at the time I had just gotten a horse, but just like a trail horse. And I was like doing some trail riding and just kind of getting back into horses. And I, I loved it. And they're like, come take a lesson. And so I brought my horse uh, and I, I ended up gun breaking my horse, uh, started taking some lessons, practicing all by my, myself. And then like entered into like uh, my first competition 
Uh, and I was terrible. I mean, I was just like, <laughs> you know, pew, pew, like, you know, like just so uncoordinated. Just an absolute hazard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is a train wreck trying to find my holster. Uh, you know, it's just like this, but you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, and you know, that was it. You know, it was like, after that, I was like, I was like, I was just hooked. I was like, this is so fun you know, everything is challenging. It's dynamic. You're learning about the horse. There's different patterns, the guns, the smells of the smell of everything, just everything combined was like, this is, this is for me. Um, and that was it. And, um, that was like in 2016, uh, that I first started, you know, kind of, I found it. Yeah. And now I've got, you know, got four horses now, I compete all over the place, sponsored. I mean, it's like, it's a dream come true, you know? Um, And, uh, but again, you know, with, with horses, you know, like I, my love of horses started again when I was like, you know, 10, 11 years old is when I first kind of started riding. Um, And so it came for full circle. I joke with people. I said, you know, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be kind of two things. I wanted to be a soldier and I wanted to be a cowboy. You <laughs> now know, you're a bit and, of everything. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I was like, it's a dream come true. Um, but it took a while to, to find it. And so back to your like original sort of thing, you know, I had to go through a few things to really find what was going to make me tick and make, make me happy. And um and right now, this is it. I mean, it's been it's been a blessing, you know, it really has. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, uh, that that it was even a sport. Like, I had no idea. I, it, it it looks like a whole hell of a lot of fun because I know they've got like my uncle does cowboy quick draw, and I know they've got the cowboy action shooting, right? But I had no um, yeah. idea that they had mounted shooting, which is which is really fucking cool. <laughs> how, yeah. do you, how do you uh, gun break a horse? Like I, I, I know breaking a horse, but gun breaking to me, it seems counterintuitive. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, so some horses don't respond as well to the gunfire. Sure. The majority will. I mean, it's really like, um, uh, you know, it's really just conditioning. I mean, the more you expose an animal to something often, and if you do it, gradually oftentimes they'll get used to it and it won't bother them as much um and that goes for anything any you know dogs or anything you know that's just um you know they they're they're easy easily trained animals um and so yeah they get used to it um but yeah the sport itself it's definitely an obscure sport what i love about it is like there's no other like more of an American sport than like <laughs> cowboy shooting. Cause like we're like to go to the country, like the wild west, like old west, like what other fucking country has like fucking cowboys like this? Like I mean, maybe South America has their own like the gachos or whatever, but like, you know, like we had, you know, fucking Doc Holiday, Wyatt Earp, like that is like <laughs> such a period of like American history that is so unique. Um it's just fucking awesome. I mean, just, you know, and the guns are fun. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't even shoot my ARs or semi-auto pistols much anymore. I mean, I keep, I shoot my concealed carry gun, uh, which is still a wheel gun. Um, There's this little Ruger LCR, but like single action lever action stuff. I mean, it's so much fun. Uh, It's a real fun, you know, fun firearms to interact with because they're just, they're just fun to shoot, you know? So I freely yeah. admit that I think after I after I messaged you like to see if you'd be interested, I really like started going down the rabbit hole of lever actions, and like yeah. I spent probably a whole week just like reading. I sold one of my ARs and I had like a couple hundred bucks like sitting here, and I was like, I'm only a couple of hundred bucks more away from buying like a lever action. Like I really want one now yeah. <laughs> because they are super cool. They're you just should. so neat. So. Yeah, they're just fun to. I mean, they're just fun to uh, shoot. And I mean, it's just it's just more mechanical is all you know. And uh, and there's like a element of nostalgia with it all. I mean, that these are the type of guns that you know our forefathers shot. You know, and uh, you know that's what I love about it. And single action guns are great too. I mean, yeah, they're fun to shoot. 
Yeah. Are you shooting like like full size like centerfire rounds? Are you shooting? I mean, what what is a so, max look like? I, I have no idea. Yeah. So the sport itself. So Cabo mounted shooting. You know, you're scored on uh, accuracy and time. Okay. So you have ten targets out there on a course a, a stage, and uh, you have ten rounds, <clears throat> and you're scored on how many you know, uh, targets you hit and how fast you complete the course. So, you know, you, you're on your horse, you got two guns, five rounds, each gun, you know, you will basically race across an automatic timer and then have to navigate the course and shoot all the targets and then get back across the timer as fast as you can. And you're shooting uh, black powder <clears throat> and you're shooting that at basically balloons. And so, mm -hmm what pops the balloon is really the sparks from the black powder. Okay. And you can be effective hitting those targets. I mean, a target can be one foot away or you could be 15 feet away. You know, I mean, you're, and it's not, it's not as easy as it might look. I mean, you know, if you're 15 feet away, like you need to be right on. Sure. Um, or if you're a little further away, you might shoot even just slightly above uh, the target so that your sparks, you know, traverse down. Um, and so, you know, a stage could be anywhere from like 10 seconds to like 22 seconds, you know? Yeah. So like you could, you know, that's 10, se 10 second course. I've run some, you know, 10 second courses before. I mean, you're shooting 10 rounds and getting back within, you know, in 10 seconds. That's fast. It's that's fast. fast. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's this disciplines is this pistol, uh, there's a rifle class, there's a shotgun class, and then there's a cavalry class. In the cavalry class, the only difference is they want you have to dress in like a period clothing, Union or Confederate, and you use these like flap holsters. I mean, it's kind of a cool, it's a little hokey sometimes, but um, the other classes you just dress, you know, you got to have a cowboy hat on, chaps, shirt. Um, there's some dress code requirements, but just just like a cowboy and you're fine you know yeah, yeah. that's cool yeah. so are you flipping between rifle and pistol or is it like you're doing one stage just pistol one stage just <clears> rifle? <throat> i do everything so like okay. i have one horse that i'll run main match which is just pistol okay i'll run that horse on and then i have another horse that i'll use on my long guns so rifle and shotgun um and then I do cavalry too, and I've my horse, one another horse for that. So I always travel with two horses, um, and I split up what I'm doing on each. Because uh, you're, you know, the, the the stage may only last ten seconds or twenty seconds, but like you'll get on your horse like an hour ahead of time, you know, yeah. warm up, move around. It's kind of it reminds me a bit of like a forty yard dash. Yeah, you, know, you do all this preparation and work you know, mobility, stretching, hydration, all this stuff to go out and basically run, you know, 40 yards as fast as you can. And that's kind of the, what a stage of mounted shooting is like, you know, you're, you're doing all this preparation for a very short amount of time, um, which is scored very like literally, you know, it's not like figure skating where you're, it's subjective, you know, or, or even, you know, uh, raining, for instance, you know, or, um, you, you know, you're scored on how fast you do it and how many targets you hit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dang. Okay. So then when it comes to the horses, are you doing all your own training? And like, I guess, I don't even know, again, this is something I have no idea. I'm not very familiar with horses. Right. But like, are you doing everything related to, Horse upkeep, training, fitness, stretching, whole kit oh, caboodle. Yeah, yeah. So all my horses are here at my house, um, and so we'll ride. You know, we're riding at least every other day. <clears throat> it just depends on you know what we've got going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, all the upkeep and everything is I, I do here. Um, we'll practice, you know, once or once a week or once every two weeks do a lot of trail riding, uh, a lot of slow work, um, just to keep them moving and bending correctly and, and all that jazz, you know, they're, you know, they, I take really good care of them. I mean, they, they stand on this theraplate every day. It's a big vibrating, like 
<laughs> plate that like <laughs> increases circulation in their legs. I mean, I, I have a magna wave, this electromagnetic therapy I use on them. I mean, I take, they get, you know, they they're get like, pampered. they get pampered. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, and they're beasts. And I mean, they're like these like muscle bound, like, you know, uh, beasts of, of horses. I mean, they, you know, and I, I take good care of them. When we travel, I put their, uh, I have these soft rides, these big gel inserts that they stand in, you know, wrap eggs. So like, you know, when they get the, you know, their orthopedic shoes, um, cause you know, we'll trailer, you know, might be in the trailer for like 10 hours. Yeah. So, you know, I want to take care of them and take care of their feet. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of upkeep. I mean, <laughs> but back to like the idea of like finding something that you love for me, like these horses become, they become like your pals, you know, they're yeah. like they're your friends. I mean, just like, you know, even just like my, your dog too. Like, and my dog's laying here, you know, by my feet sleeping, you know, it's like, you, you know, you, they just become your friends and there's something that that's fun about taking care of, you know, animals that you, that you rely on and trust so much and particularly these animals. Cause you know, you trust, you trust them a lot, you know, yeah. when you're, when you're riding super fast and you drop the reins and you're shooting, you're like, you better trust that animal. And so, you, <laughs> you, get, you know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you see, you get this rapport with them and, uh, you know, I, I love my horses. You know, I think, you know, if you don't, you know, it's, you shouldn't have them. <laughs> uh, so is, uh, is the cowboy mountain shooting, is it, is it a nation or a national thing or is yeah. it just East coast? It is. Okay. No, nope, it's all over. Uh, so like, uh, where was I? I was in Virginia last weekend, got back Sunday night. I'm going to Mississippi. Uh, I leave it's a week from today for the national, uh, championship, uh, San Antonio, Mississippi. So I'll be there for like, I'll be there for like a good week. Yeah. Uh, so I leave, I leave here in a week from today. Uh, yeah, it's everywhere. You know, California, you know, every state generally has like a club um and that's how it works is like you know there's there's events all over in every state but uh people join a club and there's a club of mounted shooters and it could be 100 or so people just varies you know how big it is that's a lot of people though that's really cool though yeah i mean there's probably a club in idaho too uh i know that i mean i know there's one in utah there's one in colorado there's a few in california I don't think Oregon or Washington have. Well, Washington has a club. I think Oregon does. I'm gonna have to look. Yeah, the I website. Mean, uh, yeah. So the website is cmsa.com. So it's Cowboy Mounted Shooting Association. Okay. And yeah, you, on look. there, you can find. Yeah. That'd be sweet. Yeah, I'd love. I'd love to go watch. I mean, I don't. I don't have a horse. I don't even know if I know anybody that has a horse. But it'd be a lot of fun just to go. Like, I feel like that's one of the shooting sports that would actually be fun to go spectate. Because, like, long-range matches, unless you know yeah. what the hell's going on, it's boring as fuck to watch. Yeah, PRS, uh, yeah, it gets, you know, you can't really tell what's going on. I mean, cowboy mount shooting is fun to watch. I mean, any – I love all rodeo-type sports, you know. I mean, bull riding, yeah. you know, roping. Even barrel racing, I mean, it's pretty fun to watch too. Sometimes, um, yeah. And and what I will say about that whole community in general, just Western equestrian sports, is like the most part. It's a good community of people, and mounted shooters especially. Like, you know, the national anthem is played at every event. Everybody stands. You know, there's always a prayer. Uh, people look out for you. You know, it's like, I mean, it's it's just a great wholesome american community and uh you know it's been a real fun like adventure you know finding the sport and then now just traveling around you know uh you know you see all your friends and it's you know it's great man i mean and uh you know this and i think that's how it goes with like a lot of not just mounted shooting but any other thing you're into you know if you're into you know, skydiving or jujitsu or motocross or whatever, you know, like, you know, you find people who like what you do and, 
you know, if the, you know, and that's it, you know, it's, um, so yeah. 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 Well, I feel like we talked about quite a few things. I imagine we glazed over a lot of life experience, but one of my favorite questions is, uh, is kind of throughout all of this, is there anything that you learned that you don't feel like you get to share with people a whole lot or maybe you wish you'd have known that could have helped you or that you just want people to know in general. And then that can be anything about military finding, you know, purpose again, finding something you identify, getting happy, whatever the case may be. It's my favorite. Yeah. I think, question. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm a, I'm a firm believer, you know, um, I don't always necessarily believe in luck. You know, I always say it's, you know, when opportunity meets preparation, you know, it's, it's really what I say. Um, you know, you've got to be prepared, you know, take it to take advantage of those opportunities when they come. And that's what it is. And that's what luck is all about. You know, it's like, you know, whether you're, you know, training for an event, you know, like in my sport, you know, you just keep training and then the, you know, and you know, hope you, you know, you know, the opportunities eventually will fall, will, will present themselves or just like in life. I mean, like I'm, you know, got remarried. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, I, I was prepared mentally, you know, just whatever happens, happens. And then just out of nowhere, I ended up meeting, you know, my current wife and, you know, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. Um, but you, you can't force things. I feel like in life, you know, you just gotta like kind of let them happen. Um, and also just enjoy the process, you know, um, I think the most profound thing that was said to me the other day, it was said, it was my 10 year old daughter. And she said it to her figure skating coach. She said, I don't care about, you know, winning any medals. I just want to skate well, yeah. you know, that's what she said before she went on the ice at a competition. And I thought to myself, wow, like my 10 year old daughter has got to figure it out just that, <laughs> you know, to enjoy the process, you know, to not always be fixated on the outcome. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, for me, particularly when I left the military until now, you know, I've never always been, when I did focus on the outcome of what, Hey, I need to be this, or I should be that, or I need to get, need to get to point B. It, it never happened. You know, yeah. I just sort of, and every time I just sort of let go and just said, Hey, you know, I'm just going to work hard and expose myself to new things and be open to trying new things and meeting new people. Just things happen and, and good things will happen. Um, and just to enjoy that process. So, yeah, um, it's interesting that you say that because I had a similar conversation and I can't remember for the life of me who I was talking to, but I had a match last last weekend maybe I don't really yeah I think it was last weekend and you know my my reloads weren't spectacular so I kind of had this predisposition that it was like it's kind of going to be a wash whatever I'm going to go have fun kind of to the point of enjoying the process just kind of go shoot and I had a podium finish which I don't think I've ever had right but it was just wild because yeah. it was like I just went and was like you know what, dude whatever happens happens I'm here to have fun and I think it's, you know, because of that, that you end up doing better because you're not worried about every other thing that could possibly go wrong. Cause it's like, I'm just yeah. here to be here, you know? You're, so you're right. Yeah. Cause works. yeah. I mean, you're right. That's a good, I mean, good example. Yeah. You, if you're focused on the outcome, you're going to be focused on all the little things that you might do right or wrong that are supposed to get you there versus just like being in the moment and having fun and, and yeah, you're right. And like, again, even my daughter that other day, yeah, she came in, I think she came in second. And yeah. She got a medal, you know, and, <laughs> and that's, I know. And that's kind of like been a reminder for me in this competition and just again, life. And I feel like I've lived that way for the most of my life. And, but when you do, when you don't, that's, yeah, you're right. It's when it doesn't work out. So, um, so yeah, it's a good sort of, way to think about things you know yeah that's awesome man yeah. well is there anything else you want to uh, maybe talk about or share or uh, get out there that you're like man this is this is important to me and we didn't get to it no i mean 
Nothing I can think of. I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I think I just encourage guys out there, you know, if, if you've left like, you know, military or, you know, elite sports or something, you know, don't be afraid just to get out there and try new things. Like if you're just kind of stuck in your, you know, rut of fucking <laughs> changing diapers or sitting on the couch every night, like go try new, new things, meet people, find something else that you identify with and makes you feel like passionate about and makes you feel like a man again. Um, because life's too short, you know, um, and that's it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Drew, once again, man, thank you for taking the time. I enjoyed our conversation and uh, I look forward to uh, harassing you again at some point in the future, whether uh, maybe another interview or uh, just sitting down to BS. Um, but otherwise, everybody, I hope you all took something away from this, whether that's getting involved in uh, in some cowboy mounted shooting or uh, maybe uh, getting some motivation to find whatever it is that you enjoy and uh, find, a, find a way to, to uh, jump out of uh, whatever mundane rut you might think you're in. But uh, otherwise, I hope you all have a great week and we will catch you next time.